Um, I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, I've got the passage there for you uh, in the handout. This is a really long passage, as you can see. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 71. And this is just, uh, Jesus is throwing a lot out there uh, in this little discourse that we have here. And we haven't the time or the months to really break it all down. And I hope I can synthesize it um, just a little bit, a little something for us to hold on to tonight um, as we see Jesus, this first explicit I am statement, I am the bread of life. So if you would uh, read with me, let's start uh, verse 22, John chapter 6. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they'd eaten the bread. There, Nora's disciples, they themselves got into their boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, "What, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I will give, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. 
The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go, as, go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Grass withers, the flowers fade. The word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask, as our Savior says, that his words would be to us both spirit and life. Would you strike a straight blow with these words using a very crooked and weak stick? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes passages just uh, speak for themselves. I kind of just want to close the Bible and say, all right, let's move on. Uh, and I hope in some sense this passage does this for you, and I, I don't want to make too much out of it. I really just want to kind of give a sense of the sense, synthesis. This is the first explicit I am statement where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he's echoing very much Exodus 3, uh, that, that divine self-definition that God gave to Moses before he was going to go to Pharaoh when he said, I am And Jesus kind of taking that says, I am the bread of life. Who does not like bread? I mean, I love bread. I I mean, I'm the kid that ate like half a pan or more of Sister Schubert rolls when they were on the table uh, before I ate any other food on the table. But even me, someone who loves bread so much, and maybe you can tell that I love bread um, too much. um, Even for me, there's something still kind of lost on me here because back then, y'all, bread was life. It was life. To have bread was to live. Uh, And we still, thousands of years later, we still kind of carry on this notion, because what do we call the person in a home that makes all the money? We call them the breadwinner, right? The one who brings home the bread, the guy, or the one who makes the dough. You know, so much, much has changed in thousands of years, but one thing that I think has remained pretty universal probably around the whole world is this idea of bread, being something that gives us sustenance in life, um, despite all the crazy anti-bread diets that there are out there. Those are evil, 
Um, so even to us, even to us, it is amazing that Jesus would say, I am the bread of life. It's me. Uh, who could turn that down? Well, I hope you noticed here, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. As he kind of draws out the implications of what these people are seeking and the answers that he has for them. And so I want to break this down. You see in your outline, in your handout there, I just want to break this down between the three groups that are trying to deal with this claim that Jesus has made that he's the bread of life. And I think what we find as we watch these three groups deal with this claim is that this bread is hard to chew. And it's even harder to swallow. It really is. So let's move into this. The first one, we see the hungry crowd. This is kind of verses 22 through 40 that I'm focusing in on here. See, a day earlier, we get the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. It left such an impact on the disciples and those who came after them uh, that all four Gospels record the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. The only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. What Jesus had done all, in the, the, gospel, the synoptic Gospels tells us, tells us that there were 5,000 5, men there, meaning that like males, there were 5,000 males. So easily there was 15,000, maybe more people on this hill that come to Jesus and they're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no McDonald's or Chick-fil-A or pizza. Um, the disciples are saying, you gotta send these people away. They're gonna be hungry. And so Jesus says, no, you feed them. And they're kind of like, all right, what in the world? And he goes on to take five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, and most commentators agree these would have been like sardine type fish. And he feeds what could have been easily 15,000 people uh, and then gathers 12 basketfuls extra when it's all over and done with. So these people, they've been looking for Jesus. He's not there. They go and they find him and they're like, okay, we found him. We're back to the guy that gives us all the bread. And Jesus, as he's, if you've been with us the last few weeks, Jesus is kind of making a habit of doing something. Before people can really get out what they want from Jesus, he just kind of cuts straight to the heart and he does it right here again. He says in verse 26, You're not following me because of who I am. You're following me because I filled your stomachs. So he's exposing their motives right away. And notice, notice he says that you're not seeking me because you saw the signs. Now, they did see the sign. They saw him feed five, 10, 15,000 people with one little basket of food. They did see it. What does he mean? Well, what does a sign do? A sign, especially in terms of the Bible, a sign is something that points to something. It points the way. It makes the way clear. It explains, right? So they had seen the miracle, but they had not read the sign. They didn't understand what it was, what it meant. So basically, they come to him and they're like, Jesus, how did you get here? And he says, no, no, no. You're asking for the wrong thing. You see, I know that you're hungry, but I know what you're really hungry for. You're so hungry that you don't even know why you're looking for me. Once again, Jesus cutting right to the heart of the matter, saying, I know your needs better than you do. You think you're struggling. I know you're struggling. I know what you're looking for, even if you don't. So their next question, they move on, maybe natural, I suppose, is, well, okay, that's what you're going to give us. What do we need to do? And that's natural, right? If somebody calls you, I'm always skeptical when I answer the phone and it's somebody I don't know. Somebody calls you and the first thing they lead with, well, is congratulations. I've got this and this and this and this for you. It's all, all yours. What is your immediate response going to be? 
okay, what do I need to do? What is the catch? You're trying to bait me in for something. Okay, what do I need to do? There's got to be a catch, right? They've just been told, what Jesus has just told them, that what they need is something that is given. And they say, okay, what do we need to get it? Nah, what you need is something that will be given. Jesus is saying, all your striving, all your worrying, all your struggling, all of it is for stuff that perishes. Come to me, and I will give you something that will never perish, that endures actually unto eternal life. He says, what you most care about in this moment won't last. So what's his answer? What must they do? And once again, we hate this answer from Jesus. He just says, believe. Believe in me. Trust in me. Rest in me. Believe who I am, who I'm telling you I am, who I'm making. I'm not trying to hide it at all. Believe. So they say, okay, okay. Well, what's your sign? Verse 30, you look there, they're kind of starting to piece it together. We know that the Messiah is promised. We want a Messiah. We want somebody to fill our stomachs and to clean up our political mess here uh, under the Roman rule here. And Jesus basically says, just stop. I am it. I am the bread of life. I am what you need. You see what this crowd is coming for. They're trying. They're trying hard. But they're coming. And they're still seeing like at eye level. They see their needs in their circumstances. What life has told them, what life has ordained for them, what they see in their situation right then and there, that is determining their need for them. But Jesus says, you don't just need free food. You don't just need a Messiah. All those things will perish. I think my, um, my son Harris, my middle son, I forget when the first time he got like a real scrape that really required a Band-Aid. But ever since then, whenever he like just barely scrapes himself and like you can't even see where he scrapes himself, what does he need? I need a Band-Aid, right? He always wants to Band-Aid. Jesus is saying, I am not a Band-Aid. You've come to me and you just want me to patch this up here and there. Jesus is saying, your need lies at the very core of your being, There is something fundamental to who you are that needs me and you do not see it and because you do not see it, you have no clue what I'm bringing. Why are you coming to me? He makes him deal with this. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, I checked that. He pronounces his name LaBeouf. People used to, never mind, that's not important, but Shia LaBeouf, I Googled it. Google's awesome. He gave a very candid interview. I remember reading this and it was a few years back and this, this is what he said. And you can almost hear, you know how he gets in those fast-paced talks, diatribes and transformers. You can hear him saying this. He just says, sometimes I feel like I have a meaningless life and I get frightened. I really don't give a rip about the money anymore. I used to. These good actors, they're all screwed up. They're all in pain. That is a profession of bottom feeders and heartbroken people. I have no answers to anything, none. Why am I an alcoholic? I haven't a clue. What is life about? I don't know. I don't handle fame well. Most actors on most days, they don't think they're worthy. And I have no idea where that insecurity comes from. But it is a God-sized hole. And if I knew, I'd fill it and I'd be on my way. So there is a sense here, this crowd, they maybe notice a God-sized hole. But I think 
like what he's saying there. They think they can just come and fill it and then be on their way. Is that how we've treated Jesus? We just come, we fill what we need to fill, and we're on our way. He pats us on the bottom and says, good job, buddy. Keep going. You see, the other gospel accounts of the feeding of the 5,000 we're told that Jesus, as these people flocked to him, just to hear him talk. The other gospel writers tell us that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're trying to fill something and they don't even know what and they're like wandering sheep looking for an answer and they will attach themselves to anything to try and fill it. Jesus' claim of being the bread of life points to the fundamental, elemental, the very bare bones necessity of your being, this role that he fills in relation to all of your yearning. Everything you think you need, Jesus says, I am it. I'm the only one that can be it. Everything you think you need, You think you need to be successful in college. You think you need to have it all figured out. You think you need to know who your wife or husband is going to be when you're done. You think you need all these things. And Jesus says, I need, I am your primary source of life itself. If If you did not have bread back then, it meant you died, period. Jesus says, without him, you are dead. He tells this group, don't follow me because of the things that I do. Follow me because of who I am. Everything I do is pointing to everything I am. The question is for us, really, is Jesus the object of our love? Or is it what we thought we'd get from him when we came in? And if we really want to answer that, you have to ask the question, what is it I think I need? What in this moment, right now, tonight, do I need? It might be a good night's sleep, I don't know. What do I need? You look at verse 35. Jesus talks about this bread that eliminates hunger and thirst. What is it? Him. Jesus is just looking at this crowd. He's saying, look, I am all you need. And he's basically asking him, Do you believe that? Do we believe that? Jesus is all I need. Really? Until what? Until my my parents split up? Until everything I had planned in college just falls apart in front of me? Jesus is all I need. How does that become real to me? Jesus just keeps unpacking this. We look at the second group here. Starting in verse 41, we see the grumbling Jews. And at some point, we know verse 59, um, at some point Jesus has taken his place kind of at the front of the synagogue and he's talking to people. And it was just kind of a common practice in the synagogue. Somebody would, a teacher would stand up and talk and the crowd would kind of go back and forth with him. Don't do with that, that with me, it'll throw me off. Um, maybe later. Um, it's actually a common scenario here. But what we're told here is this kind of goes on. You get the feeling that people in their seats are really starting to squirm. They're really starting to have problems with what Jesus is saying. Why do they grumble? The first thing they say is, this is Joseph's kid. This is that carpenter's boy. Their biggest stumbling block to Jesus in that moment is their familiarity with him. He is just too common. Man, if that doesn't strike the core. 
Why? I think so oftentimes we look at Jesus and we say, I know he does not excite me the way that he should. What is wrong with me? I think it's because we fall into this trap that we think that we know all there is to know about Jesus. This is what they fell into. They thought they knew all they needed to know. They can They can't see who Jesus really is and they can't hear his words rightly because he is just too common to them. And they don't want to hear anything more, really. Why is that? Why is it for us that Jesus is constantly in the dock, as C.S. Lewis would put it, constantly on trial? Basically, Jesus to us is always tried and then always found wanting. And we're always saying, you need to prove yourself to me. We do the same thing. We grumble because we end up finding that Jesus was not what we thought he should have been. Which actually takes us back to the beginning and shows us the real reasons why we came in the first place. We didn't come for him. We came for what we thought he was going to give us. And look at verse 44. This is kind of weird how all of a sudden Jesus answered this. He explains why they don't understand. He says, you don't understand me because no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he actually repeats this a lot in this passage. He's the bread of life. He's the giver of life. He's the only one who can give life. He's in front of you. Believe in him. Take him. Cling to him. But you can't unless the Father lets you. What? What is Jesus doing? Connect the dots with me here. They first ask, this group first asks, what are we supposed to do? And now the leaders here in the synagogue are starting to ask, don't we already know who this is? But then in verse 36, Jesus says, you see, but you don't believe. Because your focus is still on you. They're blind to the real Jesus. Without God, without Jesus, all we are is blind. Period. This bread of life. This life that Jesus gives us is only given and only received. It's see, I I feel like I keep coming every week and thinking, man, I'm saying the same thing. It's because Jesus is saying that same thing because we just don't get it because we don't want to. What he brings for us is given and we are to receive. But for some reason, that is the hardest thing for us to do. He's the bread of life because he's what we need spiritually. Jesus' person, the physical person of Jesus, this man from Nazareth, the son of a carpenter, he is what our soul needs. And, And then to illustrate that, he sends everybody over the edge. Verse 51, the bread I'm gonna give you is my flesh. You know, we thought Jesus was trying to like win hearts. What is he doing? Verse 53, he just keeps going on. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you have no life in you. And he just keeps saying it over and over and over again. You kind of come away from this thing. Jesus doesn't want anybody to like him. That's it. That's what it feels like. What could he possibly mean there? Well, here's, here's how I want to synthesize all of this. These people have followed Jesus from a sign and they're following him. And the, the, the implication here is there's a lot of people following Jesus. So Jesus is talking about what is it to follow me? What is it to believe in me? It is not just agreeing with me. It is not just saying, yeah, I get what you're selling. 
It is something active. It is akin to taking me in. It's akin to eating me. What in the world? They've all come to Jesus gauging what they can get out of him. But he says that unless you've come to the point that you are eating me, you do not have me. Unless you come to the point where you understand that you need me for life itself, you do not have me. And you have not understood why I came and who I am. Why do we eat bread for sustenance, for life itself? Why, when do we need it? Every single day. This bread of life is not something you take of to punch your ticket in. The bread of life is something that sustains you from now and into eternity, is what Jesus is saying. Believing in him, life in him, life with him, is coming to the knowledge that you need him for life itself. All of these were ready to go along with Jesus as long as he fit in their agenda. As long as he fit in what they were seeking in life. As long as he fit their expectations. But then Jesus turns around and says, you can't even go along unless my father wills it. We grumble when Jesus doesn't fit our agenda. It'd be a lot easier to follow Jesus if I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It'd be a lot easier to follow Jesus if I didn't grow up in such a God-awful home. It'd be a lot easier to follow Jesus if I wasn't so stressed out with school, if all these unrealistic expectations were not thrust upon me everywhere I go, even at RUF maybe. I hope not. Be a lot easier to follow Jesus if I didn't have so many scars. Jesus says, I don't come to fit an agenda. Jesus says, I come because I am the agenda. I'm it. I'm it. I'm life itself. The last one's quick and maybe most amazing. So we look here kind of 60 through 71. We see the doubting disciples. Like I said, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He knew what his disciples, he knew what these people who'd been following him were thinking. He knows that he is offending them left and right. In verse 63, I think it seems to explain the whole passage. Jesus doesn't soften his message. And we don't know how many Jesus, how many disciples. Jesus was really popular there at the beginning of his ministry, but by the end of John chapter 6, what we're told is that he only has 11 true disciples. You get that? Because of what he's saying, he only has 11 true disciples. And what they're all wondering is, who could listen to this? Who can listen to this? And the answer is in verse 63, when he says that it's the spirit who gives life. The words that I am speaking are spirit and life. He says, you can try and figure it out all you want. You can argue back and forth. You can try to make a... a, Cylinder fit in a square peg, whatever. But you must have the spirit. You see what he's saying? He's, Jesus is saying you need Jesus to believe in Jesus. And so he looks at the 12. I find this amazing. He says, what about you? What about you? And Peter's response is beautiful. He says, Lord, Where else would we go? We have nothing 
You see, the disciples, they did not have it figured all out, but they did know one thing. We've got nothing else. It reminds me of my favorite hymn, uh, the original Rock of Ages, this, these, these lines in the original hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Outside of you, I'm helpless and naked. That's what the disciples are saying there. And again, in verse 70, he pulls this, just remember, I chose you. What is he doing? What gives? He just kind of keeps saying the same thing. But here's the question. Isn't it thrilling that he would say that? What do I mean? Look back at verse 44. Verse 44, he says, no one comes unless the Father draws him. And then he says, and I will raise him up on the last day. He says, the Father begins it. I will complete it. And what he's saying to hungry, grumbling, and doubting disciples is this. Isn't it thrilling to have a God that is more committed to you than you will ever be to him? See, what Jesus says over and over in here, as perplexing as it is, I do not pretend to have my mind completely wrapped around all that Jesus is saying here. But I know that he's saying this. There is no greater security outside of me. I will do what my father sent me to do and that means bringing you to myself. Even when you're starving and feeding on anything you can grab around you, even when you're grumbling because you really just don't think I care, even when you doubt, you don't think I am who I said I am. I've loved you with an everlasting love. This is why Jesus says you must eat and drink. When you see that his death is your life, what you're seeing is I need that every single day. I don't need it just at the beginning. I need it the next day and the next day and the next day after that. Because without it, I have nothing. And maybe tonight, I don't know where you are, maybe that's what you need to see tonight. What he keeps unraveling for these people is you have nothing. You've been searching and you've been searching and you think that I'm just another little treasure to put in your chest. But it doesn't work like that. I'm it. Jesus says you have to come into me. You have to abide in me. You have to be united to me. You have to feast on me. In other words, what Jesus says is all of you, your hunger, your grumbling, your doubts, all of it, all of you needs all of me. And until you see that, you have not seen me, period. Pray that we see him tonight. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask for the bread of life. Father, that your word, your very word itself, nothing that I've said but what you have said to us would be both spirit and life. It would give us strength. 
that would heal our wounded and broken hearts, that it would assure us of our doubts, but even in the midst of our starvation, of our fear, of our grumbling, Father, would you remind us that you've loved us with an everlasting love that cannot be altered, that cannot be taken away, that cannot be diminished in any way. That with that which you've begun in us, you will bring to completion. We long, Father, to believe that, to feed on that daily. We pray that you would give us this bread always. In Jesus' name, amen.